Shalom Aleichem, we are continuing tonight in the life of Rabban Gamliel. I'm in the encyclopedia on page 198, in the middle of the page. So you want to click on that PDF, it says Rabban Gamliel Encyclopedia, and go to page 198. We left off where Rabban Gamliel had told Rabbi Yoshua, Come to me on your Yom HaKippurim with your money and your staff, and violate Yom HaKippurim in front of me. And Rabbi Yoshua Chana is really worried, because at the end of the day, he thinks he's right in terms of the Jewish calendar. Until Rabbi Akiva and others calm him down, and he comes to visit Rabban Gamliel. Chavah, can you hear me on Zoom? Can someone talk to me for a moment? Thank you so much. It's good mitzvot. Good. Mm-hmm. So, Gamliel, at the moment that he sees Rabbi Yoshua appear, um, we have one more chair right there. Rabbi Yoshua appear, he kisses him on his head and he tells him, You are my rabbi in wisdom and my student in the fact that you listen to me. In the middle of page 198 in the encyclopedia. When Rabban Gamliel demanded this type of discipline, obedience, met Chavera from his colleagues, he didn't have any ulterior motives. As he said on that boat when he excommunicated his brother-in-law, he didn't do it for himself, he didn't do it for the respect of his father's home. He did it for the unity of the Jewish people. Inyan one of the first things that happened when this Betadin convened in Yavne is the formal institution of a Sidur, a standard Sidur for the Jewish people. How did it used to work? How did Jewish people pray? By the heart. What does say? What is Avodah Shabalev? What is the service of the heart? So Tefillah. Tefillah is the definition of service of the heart. To standardize your heart is impossible. But our rabbis at a certain point saw that Am Yisrael was having a hard time letting the words of their heart flow fluidly, appropriately. And so they gave us a guideline. Here's what we pray. Not this is all that we pray, but this is at least what we pray. And I think that's a mistake that many Jewish people make. And they think that the siddur that we have that is the book of Jewish prayers. No, that is the skeleton of Jewish prayers. Your job is to write your own tefillot and to say tefillot that other chachamim wrote. And to, you know what you need to pray for. The things that you pray for, I don't pray for. The things that I pray for, you don't pray for. And you have to incorporate yourself into your tefillah. Right, correct. And that was a, a, a big tenant of their chasidut. Yes. Is the, is the accurate uh, um, translation for tefillah prayer? Or mm. is there something more to it? No. Uh, there is no accurate translation for anything in Hebrew. Uh, it's the word that I use because that's what people know what it means. Uh, likely, I would say tefillah. But if I would then have to say every word in Hebrew, then all I would be speaking is Hebrew. So we'll get there one day, Bezalat Hashem. Tefillah does not mean prayer. Prayer comes from a, a, a Latin word. 
which means to supplicate, to beseech, to beg. Uh, yes, there is an element of tefillah, which is begging, but we usually call that tachanunim, which also supplications. I'm not sure that's a great word either. Tefillah, according to many chachamim, comes from the word... Where do we find the word tefillah is a name of a Jewish person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's that? Naftali. Naftali is called Naftali because... Because... Here, I will read it to you from the Torah. One second. If I find my search bar... Here, but my Bereshit now is in the Spanish translation because I was chatting with Ovadia. One second, how do I fix it? <laughs> One second, translations. I got it. Okay. Vatomer Rachel, Rachel says, Naftule Elohim Niftaltim Achoti Gamiacholti. I have wrestled great wrestlings with my sister, and I have been successful. Vatikra Shemo Naftali. And she names him Naftali, meaning the one who struggles and ultimately will be successful. This Word, many suggest, not everyone, but many suggest is the root of the Hebrew word tefillah. The hitpalel means to wrestle, to struggle with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. To, it's a give and take. It's, it's a give and take that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And because of that, tefillah is supposed to be this dynamic conversation between us and Borei Olam. And in a world where we spoke and HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered, we would experience that that much more clearly. Rabban Gamliel is busy in Yavne trying to standardize the tefillah for the Jewish people. That's part of what keeps people together. So you can imagine this. Standardizing tefillah means losing out on individuality. Not just of individuals, but of communities. Different communities, different tribes, different people, different, different groups of people pray differently. They pray for different things. People like to go where they enjoy the tefillah. And that's why, very often, even though Am Yisrael can be united around schools, around yeshivot, around restaurants, around whatever Jewish organization there might be, when it comes to the Knesset, it's very sensitive. I like to pray in a Sephardic minyan, in a Yemenite minyan, in a Moroccan Sephardic minyan, in a Spanish Moroccan, a French Moroccan, a Iraqi minyan, an Iranian minyan, which Iranian minyan? I like to pray in an Ashkenazi minyan, a Hasidic minyan, which Hasidic minyan? A Galician minyan, a Hungarian minyan. And as Am Yisrael has, has broken down into subgroups, we've added more and more denominations in which we could pray with, but it's very sensitive for people. My tefillah is very important for me. You have to imagine when you're standardizing tefillah, you're going to rabble, you're going to ruffle a lot of feathers. That's what you're going to do, you're going to ruffle a lot of feathers. But on the flip side of that, you're also hoping that you may standardize and rally Am Yisrael together so that now we can pray everywhere with each other all the time, the same thing. And like with any type of standardization of anything, there are inherent risks. But this is the Sanhedrin we're talking about. So it's not a group. It's, if any group could standardize, this would be the group that would be able to pull it off. Now there have been moments in history where people have tried to standardize Sidurim again. As recently as 
Chacham of Adiyah Yosef, trying to standardize the Faradim around one Sidur. My last class I gave, I, I, I said a show about Kaddish. And in my Kaddish, I pronounced one word with a chaf, a kaf. It bothered somebody, and they, they went on a whole thing. No, really, it's a different one Sephardi Sidur says ch, one says ka. So what do you want from me? I just said whichever one was in my brain at the moment. Uh, but some people get really stuck on their little, on their details that are important, of course, but that's not what should keep you up at night. If something's bothering you about Amizrael, I can give you a list of things you should worry about much more than those things. And here, Chamad Yosef tried to rally Sephardim around one Sidu. How he did it is a topic for a different class at a different time. And Harav Gorin, perhaps unsuccessfully, tried to rally all the soldiers of Israel around one Sidu, which he called Nusach Achid. Nusach Achid is the, a universal Nusach. Really, it's just Nusach Sephardim. Uh, with a little changes and switches. Uh, if you have ever read Chacham Ovadiyah Yosef's Teshuvah regarding Nuschaot, Ashkenazi Sidur or Sephardic Sidur, he speaks with great reverence to the Ashkenazi Sidur. It's an old Sidur. The Sephardic Sidur, he obviously has a preference for. The Nosach Sepharad, the Hasidim pray, Chacham Ovadiyah Yosef just refers to it simply as Nosach Ashkenaz HaMeshubash, the messed up Nosach Ashkenaz. It's the Ashkenaz Nosach that has no, no rhyme or reason. And... So Sifarad should be ours, right? That should be ours. But it got culturally appropriated by the Hasidim, which ironically would never marry someone from Sifarad. But they made a Sidu, and the whole purpose of the Sidu was to make it more um, Kabbalistic. So they had an Ashkenazi Sidur. If you are going to look at all the Sidurim that exist, likely the Ashkenazi Sidur is not just not Kabbalistic, it's like anti-Kabbalistic. It, nothing that's written in the books of Kabbalah match with the Sidu of, of Chachmei Ashkenaz. Because of that, when the Ashkenazim turned Kabbalists in the Hasidic era, they were having a very hard time praying with Sidurim that didn't reflect the Kabbalah that they were studying from the Sevaradim. And so what they did was, they set out to change the Sidu so that it would reflect uh, the traditions of the, namely the Ariza. That was who they namely were, were trying to get his Kavanot there. So for example, uh, in the Shema Kulenu, yeah, prayer of Namida, Shema Kulenu, so how do we say? Say it. Shema 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 Kulenu Adonai Adonu. Who's Rachel Kavazon? Where's my You know, I, I, I almost never pray by heart. Here. So we say. Hear our voice, Adonai Eloheinu, Avarachaman, the merciful Father, have compassion on us. In Nosach Ashkenaz, it doesn't have the words Avarachaman, the merciful Father. Now, the Hasidim who are reading the books of the Arizal see that there's all kinds of kavanot, things that they're supposed to think about as Kabbalists when they say the words Avarachaman. So, what do they do? They copied the word Avar Chaman from the Sephardic Sidur and they stuck it at the beginning of the paragraph. So many, many, many Hasidic Sidurim say, Avar Chaman, Avar Chamin, Shema Kulenu, Chus Varchem Alenu, meaning they copied and pasted but to the wrong place. You know when you do that in word, like, like copying the band jumps to the wrong place? That's what happened in, in Nosach Sephardic. 
And so there are some chazin that don't. I think your Sidor says it after Shema Kolenu. In, in the beginning? Uh, Chabad, for example. So what is the Chabad Sidor? Oh, let me, before I get to Chabad Sidor. And if this is all we study today, this is very important. Yeah, so if we're studying today about Sidorim, it's important. Nosach Sefarad seems to have added words from the Sephardic Sidur to the Ashkenazi Sidur, but rarely did they delete phrases. So you have a lot of repetitive phrases. There's one that is uh, in my mind right now. Um, if you, did they say it twice? Right, so now, original Sephardim may have said, or depends how you read that sentence. But the Mekubalim say, And so in the Hasidim, they have both. Uh, also, if you look in Shema Kolenu, all the things that should happen to our, the Manim of the Mashinim, all the things that happen to our enemies, they have like eight things over there instead of four, that we know there are four or five, whatever. And they, they have extras of many words. And sometimes they're superfluous. So uh, there's one, there's a set I'm thinking of right now. It's been many years since I looked in the Nosach Sivagatzidu, where it says one word and then the same word over again a second time for no good reason. This happens very often. Now, when you look at the Sefarad Sidu, you could still tell it's an Ashkenazi Sidu. It's not a Sephardic Sidu. It's, it had, I mean, all the hallmarks of Ashkenazi Sidurim are there. Now, along comes the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, Anav Shalom. And he says, the Nosach Sefarad has become so chaotic, we don't know what's right, we don't know what's wrong. And he sat down, according to him, with 60 editions of the Sidu of the Arizal. Now, the Arizal seems to have not really published a Sidur. Rather, he published things you should think about while you pray. And different students have written Sidurim based on that. And he sat for, for a long time and sifted through and made a final edition. And that's why he called his Sidur Alpi Nusach Harizal. Now, that's a misnomer because the Sidur Harizal is the one that Sephardim prayed with. But nonetheless, it became known as a Nusach Ari, even though the Ari never prayed that Nusach. Uh, but that's how history works. And uh, today you have... Sefarad always means not Sephardic. It always means Hasidic. And it says Sephardi or Edot Mizrach, that always means uh, the Sephardic Sidur that we would prefer to buy. So many people make this mistake uh, because they see Sefarad, oh, it must be ours, but really Sefarad always means Ashkenazi. As complicated as that might sound, just that's what it is. Chacham uh, Yosef was more successful than Rav Gorin in establishing pretty much, I would say, that the Sephardim around the world, with the exception of, of uh, ethnically motivated communities. So not in the Syrian community, not in the Moroccan community, not in the, uh, uh, I can't say the Iranian community, uh, but in those communities that held strong to their original minhagim, they didn't appreciate the reworking of the Sidu that Chacham Ovadeh Yosef did. But pretty much everywhere you go, uh, you will find the Sidurim of Chacham Ovadeh Yosef, and he has standardized much to the chagrin of others, the Sidu. Uh, but this is nowhere near what Rabban Gamliel was doing. Rabban Gamliel is not just standarding a Nosa. He's standardizing the Sidu from scratch. There is no existent Sidu. He is making the Sidu. And let's look here on page 198. Rabban Gamliel establishes Tefillah as obligatory. And it's forbidden to change the words of the Tefillah. And that is in contradiction to the teachings of Rabbi Yehoshua and Rabbi Akiva, who said that it's permissible to abbreviate your tefillah. 
ונגד דעתו של רבי אליעזר האומר, and it's against the opinion of רבי אליעזר בן הוקנוס who said, העושה תפילתו קבע, אין תפילתו תחנונים. If you look on our source sheet, and you don't have to because we've, we've done this already once before. So we've looked at this Mishnah together not so many classes ago. But if you wanted to look at those sources yourself about where the Mishnah says um, about תפילם, you can find that in the other PDF that's all about it says source sheet, Rabban Gamliel source sheet. And you want to scroll down to, are my sources numbered? No, it's just saying Mishnah Berachot, 4-3, 4-4, uh, and then from there. There is a way to number my source sheet, and I'll make sure that I do that next time when I send out the email. Bezat Hashem. Ken Ratzah Rabban Gamliel Lekovah, Chovah, on page 199, Rabban Gamliel very much wanted to establish tefillah as an obligatory thing three times a day. Shacharit, Mincha, Ve'arvit. Negedat Rabbi Yoshua. And that was contrary to the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua. Shehora shatefillat arvit reshut. Who said in that famous story that we studied together last time. Remember the story? That the evening prayer is reshut. It's optional. Remember he made him in front of everybody stand up and then they got upset and they replaced him. This was part of that story. Ve'chanumnam higdish... Rabban Gamliel et And it seems like at that moment in time, Rabban Gamliel overstepped his boundaries. And he, he was too harsh on Rabbi Yoshua. That which he scolded Rabbi Yoshua publicly. And he tells him, Yoshua, Stand up on your feet and they shall testify against you. And that was the turning point in history where he was speaking and Rabbi Yoshua was standing while he was seated, and that made the people rebel against Rabban Gamliel. As you will see in the source sheet, in all of those quotes from Masechet Berachot, which if you will agree with me, we did this already once. Let's read this story together. So you can make source sheets using Safaria on Safaria. And instead of me telling you, press Talmud, go to Mishnah, go to here, and then Oren tells me you forgot to say which book we're in. Uh, so instead of doing that, I just made the source sheet for you. Uh, I can't always do it, but when I have time, I was happy to do it. So well, let's do this together. Let's start again. Let's do this story. It's important. So look to me, Masechet Berachot. No, it's in the same source sheet. It is a Brachot 27b13. Uh, it depends on your screen. Tanur Abanan, the sages taught. Ma'asevet Talmid, Echad, there was a story about one student. Shibar Yifnei Rabbi Yoshua, who came before Rabbi Yoshua. Amar lo, he tells him, Tifilat Arvit, Reshuot or Chova? Tifilat Arvit, is it mandatory or optional? Amar le Reshuot, Rabbi Yoshua says it's optional. Do you remember the story? 
So we didn't read the ending of the story, but we just read the beginning of it. I'm going to read the whole story now. He comes before Rabban Gamliel. And the same student says, you notice that in the Ben Midrash, you always have a student who likes to... Now, some say this Talmud here was a very important Chacham. You can look at your own research. Is it mandatory or optional? He says, it's obligatory. He tells him, but Rabbi Yoshua told me that it's optional. Wait until the masters of the shields, wait till the Chachamim come back to the Ben Midrash, and we'll talk about this then. When the Torah scholars came in, the questioner stood up and asked this question. Is the evening prayer optional or mandatory? says, obligatory. Is there anybody here who disagrees with me? In your name, they told me that you are telling people that Arvit is optional. He tells them, Stand up on your feet and they will testify against you. Rabbi Yoshua stood on his feet and he said, if I was alive and he was dead, then I could say he's lying. But being that he's alive and I'm alive, I have no choice but to admit that he's right. I did tell people that Arvit is optional. Rabban Gamliel continued, as if nothing happened, to teach. And Rabbi Yoshua was standing up while Rabban Gamliel was sitting, a sign of disrespect. I would think but okay. They told Chutzpit, the disseminator, Amod, stand, stop, and he stopped translating. Amri, they said, How long will he continue hurting him? Says he is the third time now hurting, insulting Rabbi Yoshua. We've got to remove Rabban Gamliel, he's abusing his power. It's very interesting here, you should know. Rabban Gamliel is the prince. The people are rising up against the prince and saying his disrespect to the Chacham, which is what? He's an authority, he's allowed to be authoritative. They do not appreciate the manner in which he was. Yes, he has the right. But how are you doing it? How much can you disrespect Rabbi Yoshua in front of all of us? At the end of the day, we're his students. So they said, fine, let's remove him as the Nasi. He will no longer be the prince of Israel. But who will replace him? Now this is a hard conversation here. This is very important because when coming to decide leaders, you have to think about some of the things that are unpopular. We don't like to differentiate people. You're a good person, you're a bad person. It's not good or bad here. These are all great, great candidates. The problem is they're lacking certain qualities that would be needed in this generation and this time to lead the Jewish people. Maybe we'll appoint Rabbi Yoshua. He's a Tamikham. He's the one who's being picked on. It's a good job, idea. Let's give him the job. He is the opponent of Rabban Gamliel. Meaning that would be too sore of a move. It would be, you took the man that Rabban Gabriel is rebuking and you made him the leader? It doesn't look right. Let's take Rabbi Akiva. He's the one who's in all these stories with us. He's the Chacham of the generation. 
Dilma Aneshle, maybe, maybe, Rabban Gamliel, let's read the Gemara this way, okay? Could be there are other ways to read it, but let's read it this way. Maybe Rabban Gamliel will pray that he should be punished for taking his job. Delet lezechut avot, and he will die because he does not have the merit of forefathers. Why not? He's not the prince of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, if he's not a ger, then his family are girim. Meaning, he doesn't have these forefathers whose merits will stand up against Rabban Gamliel's prayer. Let's appoint Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Where do we find Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah? You mentioned him once a year. In the Haggadah of Pesach. Yeah? Am I right? He is wise. And he is wealthy. Who cares if he's wealthy? It's very important. Tell me why it's important. Very good. Very good. Now, wealthy on its own is not is not only important, but it's it's a good value to have if possible. and he is the tenth generation descendant of Ezra. You have to think about this. Ezra is a kohen. Who does what? Remember, we spoke about him. What is his role in Jewish history? He also leads a rebellion against who? Against the Kohanim. Ezra sees that the rabbinic leadership at the time, which were priests in the Ben Mikdash, are corrupt. So he stands up and leads a rebellion. Ezra is not known as Ezra HaKohen. He's known as Ezra HaSofer. Ezra the scribe. Meaning he becomes a Chacham. He leads this movement in which the sages of Israel replace the corrupt Kohanim who are in the temple in Jerusalem. It's very interesting that his 10th generation is the one who leads a similar rebellion against who now, I'm not saying he's corrupt, but who now is considered an incompatible leader for the Jewish people. Now here's what they're worried. He is wise. What does that mean? What's important about that? Very good. If Rabbi Rabban Gamliel challenges him, he will know the answer to this challenge. And he is wealthy. That if the need arises to pay off the Caesar, the Roman occupational forces, he'll be able to do that. And he is the tenth generation of Ezra. That he is has the merit of his forefathers. And he won't be able to punish him. They come and they tell him, Are you interested in becoming the head of the yeshiva? This is a job opportunity of a lifetime. He gave them the very wise answer. Let me go and ask the people of my home. Who are the people of my home? His wife. He went and consulted with his home. With who? How do you consult with your home? Chachamim called their wives their home. She is their whole home. And so he went and consulted with his wife. Interestingly enough, when he speaks to them, he said, I'll consult with the people of my family. 
And when it comes to practically, who does he ask? He asks his wife. You can already learn the mudim. You can learn things from here. Before we get farther, back in the day when we were, we were founding the Shiviti Bedin in Los Angeles, it was quite complicated for us. How are we going to find two other rabbis to sit on the Bedin and do what they need to do? And we went through some hard times with the people going and coming, and not, not everyone wanted to stay on board for their own reasons. And Agapeleta's criteria were very similar to this. Not exactly, but very similar. So it has to be a person who's chacham enough, not just a rabbi. Rabbis come madai madazim. Somebody who, if challenged by any other halachic authority, would be able to hold their own weight, without you, on their own. They would be able to pen a teshuvah, write a letter, explain a halachic stance using sources in a compelling Torah manner, an authoritative way. So that was really hard to find. You're dealing with America, and you're dealing especially with California, and you're dealing especially with our neck of the woods. So that was very difficult. A person was Tamil Chacham. Rabbis we have a lot. Tamil Chachamim, not so much. Fine, we found some Tamil Chachamim. The next thing he wanted was there should be Tamil Chachamim in good standing. What do you mean good standing? They, they, they don't have rumors circling about them about all kinds of improper behaviors. And that's already narrowing the pond a little bit. Uh, it's complicated, that one. And then the third, and that's, that's similar to the Yichus of Islam. The third, they needed to be wealthy. What does it mean wealthy? I, I, I don't qualify. So how do we get the Bedin? The way it works is that a person, not wealthy in terms of how much money they have, but how much they don't want other people's money. That was the criteria. To find people who are not looking to make money off of other people. So we found some great candidates, by the way. People who really wanted to be involved in this project. There one rabbi saying, I'll do it. I'm more than happy to do it. I expect $150 for the final mikveh day. I'm thinking to myself, other Batadian are charging $15,000, $13,000, $23,000. And we're not charging a penny. And all you want is $150? It comes off cheap. You want to lose the mitzvah for $150,000? I know why those guys lose the mitzvah. For $23,000, you lose a lot of mitzvot. Add that up by 100 people every year, you'll lose a lot of mitzvot. But for $150, even if we convert 100 people, how many people, how much are you going to have? Is it worth losing your mitzvah for that? I, I couldn't understand that he was adamant. It has to be, I won't do it for less. We don't want you. We don't want you. We have the combination of rabbis that we have. All of us have our own kilos. All of us are not looking to make money off of the backs of anybody else. None of us are wealthy people. And all of us, all of us, are able to work together in a way that doesn't come at the cost of the people who we're helping. And I think that's, that's there are times where people have even challenged our, why do you do it this way? I cannot tell you, if I were to sit with you one day and walk you through the problems of running a bedin for Gyu, then I will explain to you how many times we have been saved but the very fact that nobody owns us and we don't owe anything to anybody. That means that a day before somebody's giyu, I could say, goodbye, you can't pass, and I've got nothing to lose. It also means that in situations where things really need to get done, there's no motivator. There was a lawyer once, and he wanted his son to go to law school, a good law school. He got into Harvard Law. He went, he did his stint, he did his, uh, what do they call that, internship somewhere else. Finally came back to work for his father. His father gave, see that? Those are the cases. He decided, you know, he wants to look through all the cases his father's ever worked on. 
And he comes to his dad at the one-year review, and his dad says, no, son, what did you do? What have you accomplished? He says, dad, you remember that case that you haven't been able to crack since 1982? He said, yeah, which one? The McNelly versus Johnson? He said, yeah, that one. He said, I finally was able to close that case. He said, you idiot. That one paid for your private school. That one paid for your law school. That one paid for your wedding. That one paid. Why did you close it now? You lose it. There's, there's an incentive to keep things open when you get paid for them. There's an incentive. Well, by us? They, they didn't give any money to get it back. Uh, by other Batainin? No, I don't think that's how it works. And unfortunately, we know too many people that lost all their money and didn't finish. Yeah, no, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. No, not with us. I'm with them. So he goes. Rabban Gamliel goes and he consults with his wife. Amal, she tells him the next section. So I'm Berachot 28a1. Dilma me'abrinach. Maybe they're going to remove you from the office. Just like they removed Rabban Gamliel. Meaning, this is... Why don't you go to a job? They once offered me a job in Los Angeles. And aside from the fact that I wasn't looking for a job, a few times they offered me a job in Los Angeles. One of the jobs they offered me, it was like uh, the government of a South American country. Every two days there was a new government. It was uh, like a, you know... You know, they tell that story. I can't speak about any, any uh, politicians. But uh, they had a whole... But I said they all died in a terrible plane crash. And uh, one lady survived. And after many years, she also died. And she goes up to the Benin Shilmana. And she says, Akadosh Baruch I want to see my, my family. I want to see my friends. I say, Listen, right now it's not the time yet. But there's a special room here. In this room, you could feel the spirit of your family there. Yeah, tell me. Says, come, come, I'll show you. You see, in this room, is full of clocks. And... Uh, the story is the other way around. She's the only one who died. Everybody else survived. She said, I want to see them. I can't see them because I'm in another world. You'll see them when they die in good time. She said, I want to feel them. She said, come to my room. See all these clocks in the wall. Under every clock is a person's name. She said, what are these clocks? She said, every time somebody in the world downstairs lies, it moves one number. They lie, it moves a number. They lie, it moves a number. So she's looking at her friend, uh, Miriam's clock. And uh, every few minutes, you see it. Every time she gets a phone call, it moves. Uh, you see the rabbi of the community. It's on uh, 11, you know. <laughs> it's moved a few times already since uh, She sees uh, her husband, and it's like the, you know, the water meter outside your house, or the electrometer. It's a, yeah. And she says, tell me, but the, the president of the Bera Knesset, where's, where's his clock? She said, no, lady, we use that for the fat. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you have a situation where they're always changing people. And what do they say? This rabbi wasn't good enough for us. That rabbi wasn't good enough for us. The next rabbi is not good enough for us. So what do you know about this community? It could be that the last hundred rabbis you had in the last five years, all of them were miserable people. It could be. There are enough miserable rabbis to go around. Likely, though, there's something about your community that doesn't, is not able to retain rabbis. So she says, listen, it's a great job if they would have offered it to you out of the blue. But they're offering it to you after there's been a coup. They've, there's mutiny on board. They threw him out. How do you know? Now you're going to get the job and tomorrow they'll throw you out. Wise advice. Amarla, he tells her, It's worth it, worth it for a person 
to one day be able to enjoy a very fancy glass cup. And tomorrow breaks, so tomorrow will break. Listen, I, I have a preference. I like glass cups. In my house, since I got married, I have like the skeletons of all kinds of glass sets that we once bought, and now you have one cup left here, and one cup left there, one cup. So why do you keep buying glass? There are other things that don't break, yes? Why? I just like, I like to, I enjoy drinking from this glass. So it's okay if they keep breaking, but it's better that than something else. No, this, this is, that is better than, very good. That it's better to have something that you use, at least you get its use, and then it breaks, big deal. So I'll have the office even for one day. But what I'll be able to accomplish is that great. Amalein, she tells him, you always have to go to your wife for advice. She says, let lecha chivarta. You have a problem. You have no white hair. Why is it important to have white hair? Today, everyone wants to get rid of their white hair. Why is it important to have white hair? Because it says in the Agada, if you raise it, it's a product. It's touch of right. You want a little bit of white hair. It's right. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of, uh, yeah, I'm a serious person. Meaning, you're going to be so young. You're going to be so young. You're going to try to rule Amisa. Like, look at that, look at this little kid. Look at this child. <laughs> so what does he do? Hahu Yoma, that day. He was 18 years old. Bilazar ben Azariah was 18 years old. Itrachesh le Nisa, a miracle happened to him. Rabbi Gamal was an elder. Vihadarule tamne sare dare chivarta. And it was tamnesre. And it was 18 rows of white hair were added to him. Rows of white hair. If I recall, there's a. a Right, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. He had 18 rows of white hair that grew. Now, overnight, he looked like a respectable person. So Zeb said the first day on the job, he'll get white hairs. No, even before the first day on the job, he got white hairs. And that's exactly what Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says in the Haggadah of Pesach. I as I am as if I am kiven, as if I am 70 years old. He doesn't say I'm 70 years old and I never heard. What is in Haggadah? I never heard. I never heard this. But now. Now it says, I'm 18, I'm like I'm 70. I'm not 70, I'm like 70. It's very interesting then. You're only 18. So why are you saying, I never in my whole life merited to hear? It's very interesting language for somebody who's really only 18. I mean, if he was 70, it would make sense. So now you tell me it's like 70, I understand that part, but it makes a problem the other part. Make sure the Mekubalim here. I'm not a Mekubal, but the Mekubalim on Haggadah of Pesach, I believe the Arizam says that Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is a Gilgul of Shemuel Hanavi. Shemuel Hanavi died at 52. 52 plus 18 is 70. And there are periods, there's comparisons between the life of Shemuel Hanavi and Elohim But when I read the Gilgul of this, the spark of the soul of that, put Kabbalah aside for a moment. It's interesting that you show two people that have certain parallels with each other. Yeah? Hilal Zaken is looking out over the river. And what does he see? He sees one skull. They say it's skull of Paro. He sees one skull floating in the river. The Rizal says that 
Hillel is a spark of the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, what does that have to do with anything? There are certain similarities in the life of Moshe Rabbeinu, the leadership qualities of Moshe Rabbeinu, that you also find echoes of in the life of Hillel Hazaken. And even if you put reincarnations aside, just for the factor of, well, there could be what to learn, compare these two lives with each other, that's enough of what I can learn from there. So what happens? Tana, we was taught, that day, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah made a few changes. What are those few changes? Policies. He changed policies. Rabban Gamliel used to have a guard in the front of the Ben Midrash. They gave permission for all the students to enter. Rabban Gamliel used to say, the rule was, every student, that's not an opinion of Rabban Gamliel, whose inside is not like their outside. Meaning, all the hypocrites, all the people who pretend to be so holy and pious, but inside they're crooked. is not allowed to enter the Ben Midrash. So Rabban Gamliel had a bouncer. If you recall the generation of Hillel and Shmaya Avtalion, the guard, what was his job? Was to take money. Rabban Gamliel's guard is not there to take money. What's his job? Was his guard's job to take money, or was that a corruption of that job? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. There was like a fee to enter the Ben Midrash. I don't know who, like that was an institution, or the guard was using his power. Yeah, by Shmaya Avtalion, that's what Hillel couldn't get in. I'm talking here, this guard though, his job was, it's a qualitative job. He's checking to make sure, are you of the caliber to enter the Ben Midash? And Rabbi Lazar ben the first thing he does, he gets rid of this guard. No, I don't want only the elite to come learn here. I want everybody to come learn inside of the Ben Midash. You can imagine the commotion that creates. All of a sudden, you open up the academy for free to everybody who wants. Hahu Yoma, that day, Idvasu Kama Safsaleh. Several benches were added to the Ben Midash to accommodate the new guests. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, Abba Yosef ben Dostai Abba Yosef, the son of Dostai and Rabbanan argued. Chadama once in, <coughs> it says here itosfu. I thought it says itvasfu, but I'll read it. Itvasfu arba me'asaf sadeh. There were 400 benches that were added to the Ben Midash. V'chadamar sheva me'asaf sadeh. There were 700 benches added to the Ben Midash. How many people sit on a bench? Let's make a small bench. Six, four, times 400, times 700. That's how many people who always wanted to learn in the Ben Midrash but were not allowed inside, that's how many people came to learn Torah. Rabban Gamliel became very sad. Amar, he said, Maybe I'm guilty. That's an amazing thing. Here's a leader who's been dethroned. And he is not mad. He's doing a cheshbon nefesh. He's thinking about what did I do wrong. He says, did I possibly stop so many Jews from learning Torah? Is that on my back? They showed him in his dream white jugs that were full of ashes. Wonder ashes. What can you do with ashes? Nothing. Nothing. Meaning, these are fancy jugs, but they're empty inside. I mean, you were always careful that your jugs should hold oil, wine, silver. I don't know. I mean, these jugs are full of ashes. Meaning, don't feel so bad. The people that Rabbi Lazar ben Azar let in are not so special. 
the Gemara says, Velohi. He said, don't think for a moment that Rabbi Lazar ben Azar was wrong for letting them in. Rather, this was a dream that was given to Rabban Gamliel to make him feel good about himself. But really, in Shamaim, they were very grateful for what Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah did for Am Yisrael. And the Gemara continues, Tana, our rabbis taught us, Eduyot, the tractate of Eduyot. Have you heard of Eduyot? It's in the Talmud. Eduyot, Bo Bayom Nishnet, the whole Masechet was taught on that day. And everywhere in the Mishnah, where it says, Bobayom, that day, and there are many things throughout the Mishnah, it says, Bobayom, 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 Bobayom. Whenever you see the words on that day in the Mishnah, so you have a whole Masechet Eduyot. That's all, that Mishnah happens all in one day. Yeah? But Bobayom is scattered throughout the rest of the Mishnah. Whenever you see Bobayom, Hahu Yom Ahava, was that one day that Rabbi Dazarban Zaliyah was the leader? That's when they learned that Torah. There was no law in the court that they were delivering about in the Bet Midrash that they didn't answer that day. They got the answers. Where was Rabban Gamliel when all this Torah study was going on? He didn't leave the Bet Midrash even for one minute. So he accepted that he was thrown out. He stepped down from his chair. He gave it to Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. And he spent the whole entire day studying Torah with them as a student. You need to understand the greatness of Rabban Gamliel. I think that we look at him earlier in this position of authority, embarrassing Rabbi Yoshua. Who do you think? He and he. We said, of course, he said he didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it for his father's honor. Of course, he said that. But here is he being put to the test. What do you do when they throw you out? Where do you go? He goes nowhere. He's still a chacham. I still need to learn Torah. And if I'm not fitting to lead, and there's someone else that needs to lead. I'm going to come and learn Torah from them like any other student in the Beit HaMidash. He just takes a chair in the back. If you don't recognize the greatness of Rabban Gamliel from this, there's nowhere else you can see greatness like that. But the story doesn't end. Ditnan, our rabbis taught us, Bo Bayom on that day, Ba Yehuda, let's do this. I would like to read the rest of the story tomorrow, uh, next week. I, I want to do some Shulchan Aruch tonight. So if you'll let me, we're going to continue this story from the middle next week. Um.